0: Oh, he-
1: This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I hope you've had a good day and you are now prepared to worship. We'll turn this studio into a sanctuary. My prayer is that you'll be blessed both by word and music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's word. It comes from Isaiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 9. A writing of King Hezekiah of Judah after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, In the new time of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look upon mortals no more, among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me, like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver, I've rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night you bring me to an end. I cry for help until morning, like a lion he breaks all my bones. From day to night you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane I clamor, I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I am oppressed, be my security. But what can I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. All my sleep has fled because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things people live. And in all these is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Surely it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But you have held back my life from the pit of destruction. But you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they thank you as I do this day. Fathers, make known to children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will sing to stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Oh, Lord, thank you for this time together. It is my prayer that your will will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Be with us all in a special way. It's in your name. Amen. Some years ago, the noted football coach and now commentator, Lou Holtz, said something that we can all relate to. He was speaking about our trouble in our lives. This is what he said. I know God doesn't send us more troubles than we can handle, but sometimes I think he overestimates my ability. Who of us has not thought that from time to time? When we deal with our troubles and trials and tribulations, we say, I'm afraid the Lord has overestimated my ability. Illness or trouble remind us that we are not in control. And many of us don't like that. We don't like that idea or that experience. We want to be in control even though we're not in control. In the text, King Hezekiah tells how he felt during his experience of illness and recovery. He lamented his seemingly untimely death. He was getting ready to go down to Sheol which was this place for the dead, a place of shadowy existence. No longer would Hezekiah enjoy God's blessings in this life. Hezekiah saw his death as a shepherd's tent being folded up or as a piece of cloth put on a loom. Hezekiah even felt that if God were breaking his bones like a lion, he felt wounded like a hurt bird. But yet he gained from his illness. For in his illness, he spoke of the things he gained. He said it all came out for his good, for his good. Thus Hezekiah in his illness and recovery gained new experiences that transformed his life. First of all, God gave him a new appreciation of life, a new appreciation of life. So often we take life for granted, we take it for granted, especially when we are in danger of losing it. When we realize we're losing it, we cling to it with all of our might. Hezekiah views death as the end of the journey. A tent taken down, a weaving cut from the loom. For him, life was fragile, and it was hanging on like a thread. But by faith, Hezekiah looks to God. He looks to God, and he says he's going to gain something out of all of this. He's going to be an example that other people will be blessed by his recovery even though he was ill at the time. How did the Apostle Paul put it? In his great exclamation, Paul said, We can rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because, as he said, our illness, troubles, and problems produce endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because it's rooted in God's love. Now, illness, troubles, and misfortunes don't bring blessings to us automatically. Sometimes they bring the very worst, bitterness and a lack of faith, and all kinds of unseemly things. But for the Christian, the Christian is certain that he or she cannot get beyond the boundary of God's love and concern. Consequently, he can say that his worst things are blessings. Back in 1968, a grenade was thrown, and it affected the life of former United States congressman, and it touched his life so bad that it broke his... His, his legs, it took his, his legs off, it wounded his right arm. And he said that he had known what suffering was, he had known what physical disability was, he had known being put on the spot, he had known all of these things. But he said it just made him want to live, not die, and he said he came out with two thoughts about his life. One was he wanted to get back on his feet, so to speak, and he wanted to make a contribution to society. He said the second thing was he wanted to develop some new goals. He wanted to get to the heart of what he was, who he was, and what God wanted him to do. And he said when he did, he heard the word, Max, go for the max, go for the max. In other words, live life to the full. What this man learned was that turn your scars into stars, go for the max. And then there was a star, a movie star, The man I was just talking about was Max Cleland. But then Michael J. Fox, the movie star, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1991. At the age of 30, he was told by the doctors no matter whatever else happened to him that he would work for another 10 years. That was all. Fox said his life was beginning to skid sideways. He suffered a lot during those years. But then it was in 2010 that his picture was on the front of Reader's Digest magazine, and it had down below what I learned from my illness. And these were the things that Michael J. Fox learned from his illness. First of all, he said acceptance. He had been denying his problem, but then he learned to acceptance. It is just a realistic view of what is happening. And then he said, secondly, he learned that love is not a vacuum. Love is not a vacuum, neither is loss. Michael said that if he didn't try to fill the space it created, it would fill itself. And so he said he had to fill it with something. And he filled it with knowledge because the more he learned about his illness, the better choices he could make. And thirdly, he said, when things go bad, don't run, don't hide. He said it may take a while, but you'll realize that these horrible things are simply finite and your choices are infinite. And then the last thing he said he learned was the importance of the moment right now. He said, it didn't mean that yesterday and tomorrow are not important, but he said today was more important than anything else. We celebrate today. He said, let other people use the camera. You just smile. You just smile. And then there's Amy Copeland. Amy Copeland, this young University of Georgia student who has the flesh-eating bacteria that caused the amputation of her, some of her limbs. She was on the Katie Keurig show in Good Morning America not long ago, and she was asked, are you the same person you were before all of that? She said, yes, a better version than what I was. She said, you know, things can get hard, but we just determine we're going to make the best of it. She said, I have a greater appreciation for life than I've ever had before, the beauty and loveliness of it. And then I know a lady, a personal friend, who has MS, multiple sclerosis. Here is her testimony. MS has taught me patience, fortitude, compassion, and eagerness to face each day and what it will bring. I have learned to let go, to grieve, and to allow new ideas to emerge. I have learned to embrace those new ideas with a passion. I've learned to appreciate the angels of God that he has placed in my life. I have many things to be thankful for. And then she concluded by saying, MS has done for me more than is taken away. I've come to trust God's plan for my life, and I am enjoying the voyage. If you listen carefully to these four people, you'll hear something of the same thing. Each one of these witnesses says that they have come to a new appreciation of life. And you know, in the Scripture, there are two promises that stand out that incorporate all the other promises of Scripture. They're sort of like a whisper, not like a preacher shouting them, just a whisper, Number one, God's grace is sufficient for you. And number two, lo, I'm with you always to the close of the age. A new appreciation of life. And then secondly, a deeper appreciation of prayer. Hezekiah gained a deeper appreciation of prayer. If it had not been for prayer, Hezekiah would never have made it at all. Because at night he felt like a frail animal being eaten by a lion. He said in the daytime he felt like he was a wounded bird. But at that moment, he turned anew to God. He confessed his sins and he found forgiveness in his own life. You know, when we reach this point of suffering and illness and problems and we realize we are not in control, so many of us turn anew to God and we know our prayer is being heard and answered. That was the way it was with Hezekiah. Henry Nouwen said, prayer is the center of the Christian life. It's the only necessary thing. It is living with God here and now. It is living with God here and now. How important to reach that conclusion. What I want us to do just for a few minutes is think of some of the reasons why prayer is not heard, why prayer is not answered. Sometimes prayer is not answered. It goes unanswered because the person who's praying is frivolous. For instance, what do we pray? Lord, let this night at the ball game be a clear night while the farmers over here are praying for their crops, praying for people who are hungry. Sometimes our prayers are not heard because the one who's praying has a flaw. You know, sin has a way of getting in the way of our prayers. I think it was the writer of Proverbs said that if we do not hear the prayers of the poor, when we cry out, our prayers will not be heard. Well, this goes on and on and on. I've been reading a book by a fellow who said why our prayers were not answered. And he mentioned several reasons. He said, unanswered prayer does not mean that our perspective and God's perspective is the same. Not at all. Unanswered prayer does not mean that our perspective and God's perspective are the same. Garth Brooks explored this idea in one of his songs called Unanswered Prayers. He said when he was, after he had been out of high school for 20 years, he went to a ball game one Friday night and he took his wife. He said, but as soon as he got there, he ran into his old girlfriend, his high school girlfriend that he thought he loved so much. And he he used to pray that God would make her his. And if God would just make her his, he would never ask for anything else that's what he prayed concerning his high school sweetheart but he said after twenty years and he looked at her he suddenly began to sober up she had changed she wasn't the angel she used to be after making small talk she left but then Garth Brooks said he looked at his wife he looked at his wife and he was so grateful for what God had done for him he was so grateful that God had not answered that prayer that way That. His perspective and God's perspective were different, but God's perspective was the best. Martin Luther said, sometimes we ask for silver and God answers in gold. When we pray, we need to keep the larger perspective. And then secondly, unanswered prayer is often a sign of impatience, that we've not given God time. Sometimes we pray our prayers as if we are reading a short story. We want a quick read, an easy plot. That's the way we pray, but God wants us to pray as if we're praying an epic or a journey that's going to take a whole lot of time. If salvation history hasn't taught us anything else, it taught, taught us that God takes his time. God does his best to bring people through the Lord Jesus Christ to salvation. I remember Martin Luther couldn't understand how God could be so kind to humankind. And he said, if I were God, and the world had treated me like it's treated him, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. And I suppose he would have. And I suppose he would have. But the story of the Bible is the story of a whole history of God trying to get in touch and to change a stiff-necked people into his own people, into his own people. So let me say that again. Sometimes prayer is often a sign of impatience that we've not given God time. God is never in a hurry. He's going to say to us, wait a while. And then thirdly, unanswered prayer may be a sign that we are not willing to be used. The most dangerous thing about our praying is that God may choose to make us the answer to our prayer. In other words, we cannot pray for someone and not become involved. Someone said when we are praying for somebody else, we're not just sitting on the front row of the theater. We're up on the stage. We actually become a participator in what's going on in terms of this prayer. We need to remember, if we're going to pray this prayer, we need to be willing to be used of God to answer this prayer. And then the last thing I want to say is this. Perhaps the final answer to unanswered prayer is that God knows everything, including everything about us and everything about those we love. So no matter what's going on, God is still love, God is still kind, God is still wise. God is still powerful. There's the story of a Roman emperor who had a great victory. And so the people were celebrating his victory, and they built a viewing stand. This viewing stand was for his family to see him as he came by in the chariot. Well, his little boy was sitting up there, and, and about the time the emperor got level with the viewing stand, his little boy eased out of the viewing stand and started moving toward the chariot. At this time, Elisha and I picked him up and he said, you can't go out there. Don't you know who's in that chariot? It's the emperor. The little boy laughed and said, he may be your emperor, but he's also my daddy. He may be your emperor, but he's also my daddy. You see, you see, God is still love. God is still kind. God is still wise. God is still powerful. God knows everything about us and those we love. And we can be sure of that. There was a man who told a story and he said he lost his loved one and he said it was an accident and he said it took him a long time to deal with the trouble and the mystery of the whole thing he said at first he prayed out of habit but then he said he started praying out of deep conviction that was what was happening to Hezekiah he started praying out of deep conviction a deeper understanding of prayer and then thirdly God gave Hezekiah a new appreciation of his calling to serve, his calling to serve and to worship. For Hezekiah, he has a brand new love for God. He has greater praise on his lips than ever before. The reason he has this greater praise is because now he begins to understand the importance of life and what life is for. He almost lost his life, so now he becomes very much aware of the purpose and meaning of life. Chuck Swindoll said that he went to seminary with a friend And this friend worked his way all the way through the seminary as a custodian. And he said his friend had some words that Chuck Swindoll said he had used all of his life. His friend would frequently say this, Three-fourths of ministry is just showing up. Three-fourths of ministry is just showing up. But just showing up means that we are ready and able in season and out of season. The apostle Paul said, A steward is to be found faithful not necessarily fruitful or necessarily optimistic, but a steward is to be found faithful, faithful. A few years ago, I think it was in 1995, there was a well-known baseball player named Cal Ripken Jr. He played for Baltimore. He did something that reminded people of the greatness of the sport. He set a record that nobody thought would ever be broken because Lou Gehrig had set it in 1939. The record he set was 2,130 consecutive baseball games he played in. Well on September the 6th he walked out for the 2,131 consecutive game and immediately people in the stands began to applaud and they uninterruptedly applauded for 20 minutes. Cal Lipkin, Ripkin simply turned around in a circle he waved and recognized those people, and then he walked over to his family, and he did a marvelous thing. He hugged each member of his family as if to say, the victory is not just mine. This victory is all of ours, all of ours. What a grand moment in sports history. No great heroism, no final second comeback, no trophy, just gracious people honoring a man who had kept faithful to his job. He just showed he just showed up. And that's what faithful people do. They just show up. What was it the psalmist says? He said, let us apply our hearts to wisdom. Let us apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to number our days. A new appreciation of life, a deeper appreciation of prayer, and a stronger understanding of our call to worship and serve. Such are the lessons of illness. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you know about what's going on in our lives. Whether we're well or ill, you're very much aware and you're ever working in our lives to bring about healing. We're grateful, oh God, that you love us and you've demonstrated that love over and over again. Help us to be faithful to you always. And we pray that you would be especially close to those who are ill. Grant them peace and strength and courage. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. Amen. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. We trust that this has been a blessing to you and that you'll continue to share this ministry with your friends. Have a good evening. Whenever good night.
2: Whenever I am tempted Whenever clouds arise, When songs give way i oh. And I know he cares for me. I sing.